0: This week on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, US Navy Commander Jeremiah Regadio joins us to discuss the most versatile, widely proliferated American helicopter to serve since the venerable UH-1 Huey.
1: Of all the variants, civilian and military of H-60 Sikorsky has produced over 4000 units worldwide. And all services to include the Coast Guard and the Marine Corps fly some variant of the H-60.
2: Strap in for the Fighter Pilot Podcast, the internet radio show that explores the fascinating world of air combat, the aircraft, the weapon systems, and most importantly, the people. Now, here are your hosts, retired U.S. Navy fighter pilots, Vincent Aiello and Brian Sinclair.
0: Hey everyone, before we get started, just a quick note to mention that the U.S. Navy's premier flight demonstration team, the Blue Angels, kick off their 2019 show season with a performance at their winter training location, Naval Air Facility El Centro. Those of you in Southern California or Southwestern Arizona, make the short trip to the Imperial Valley Saturday, March 16th, to check out the Blue Angels and the many other amazing aerial performances and static aircraft on display gates open at 8 a.m. and parking and admission are free so check out the 2019 naval air facility el centro air show featuring the blue angels saturday march 16th and while you're there look for our fighter pilot podcast ad in the show program well sunshine did you notice that new intro bumper my stepdad jim recorded it's got you included i did thank you very much jello i feel a little more important yeah sorry about that it's long overdue my apologies buddy Anyway, we have a longer interview on the Black Hawk, Jayhawk, Payhawk, Seahawk, all the different hawks. And so before we get to that with our buddy Frank, let's take care of some housekeeping. Now, announcements, Sunshine. You and I had a few corrections from the last episode. Mine was the first one, and that is George Wills, quote, was attributed to the Space Shuttle Challenger Mishap, not Discovery.
3: Yeah, and I had one also, a couple actually, but the first one is going to be, I had mentioned the uh, TU-142 that I joined up on the Bear F. I was thinking it was from Pakistan, and uh, believe it or not, we have some listeners in India and Rajit emailed us and said, hey, dude, it's not Pakistan, it's India. So thank you very much for the heads up.
0: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we're going to spend most of our time making corrections to the things we've said here, because another thing was uh, we didn't mention the EA7 electronic attack variant of the Corsair 2. And also, we skipped that the A7 can carry the TALB, or Tactical Air Launch Decoy, and the Maverick. And I know we forgot that because we ended up covering that in the behind-the-scenes little bonus that we released on YouTube right after the episode. And another thing that's happened in the past week is we released a musings on the S3 mishap that I witnessed. Head over to fighterpilotpodcast.com, click on musings and look for that. And we had our inaugural deep dive.
3: Now give us a quick summary of what the deep dive is, Sunshine. Yeah, so the deep dive is just like it sounds. We're going to dive into something a little more or a lot more technical. This uh, inaugural deep dive dealt with stability versus maneuverability. And we talked about why wings are shaped like they are. And just basically gave an idea of what the aerodynamics used to be like before flight control computers took place.
0: That's right. And that is an audio visual episode. And so we've got that now on Facebook and our YouTube channel. And in there, Sunshine, you asked me to recce an aircraft and I called it a P-51 and you agreed. But I think some readers schooled us on that, didn't they?
3: That they did. Hey, thanks a lot for the emails. Yeah. So definitely, Oh, uh, I guess we should have looked at the leading edge paint there, but it was indeed a spitfire not a p51 when we talked about the wing configurations okay. hey another thing jello i'm unable to discern the difference between 4 or 6 engines hanging off the wings when we talked about oh. yeah when we talked about another wing configuration i incorrectly reckied that aircraft as the uh, antonov 224 when indeed it was actually the 124 so okay. thanks to our far east we'll call them listeners for the uh, correction <laughs> via email well, we are doing our best here on the show. And it's
0: more important for us, Sunshine. I know you agree that we give you the right information, even if we have to correct ourselves, than to pretend we're right all the time, which is certainly not the case.
3: Yeah, just ask my wife. I'm never right all the time. <laughs> well, we'll have to get her back on the show. <laughs> hey, Jello, can you tell me about any of the new Patreon members we have? Holy smokes. Patreon's going crazy. Nice. We have
0: new division leads, Andrew Milam. Matt Wagner, which the listener might recognize, that's Wags of Eagle Dynamics, developer of DCS World. Fantastic. And Martin Meyer. We have one new Patreon strike lead, Richard Borden. Okay. And we have two, believe it or not, new Patreon mission commanders. One is Matt Gerritsen, and he paid the whole year in advance, so he's like a mega mission commander. And another one, Fallen Sword 0828. So I'm not sure, hadn't looked into that one too much yet, but that sounds pretty cool. And we have our second and final Airboss. Now, Peter Keelan, callsign heater, is generously supporting us at the $100 per month level. But instead of any accolades, Sunshine, he asked us to mention two of his friends. One, retired U.S. Navy Captain Robert Doremus was an F-4B Rio in Vietnam who had a hand in the first mid-kill off the USS Midway in June of 1965 and was later shot down, spending over 2,700 days as a guest at the Hanoi Hilton. Heater is making introductions so we can invite Robbie on the show someday. The other friend is retired U.S. Navy Captain J.C. Smith, one of the founders of Top Gun. So to both of you gentlemen, greetings from your friends at the Fighter Pilot Podcast and Peter Keelan.
3: Yeah, thank you very much, new Patreon members, and especially a big shout out to Heater. You betcha.
0: Now, Sunshine, I know you see the emails, too. We have now a lot of suggestions for the show between different guests, what aircraft we should be covering in the aircraft series and other topics. And I just want to make a public service announcement that we are hearing loud and clear your suggestions. Usually we do write back to everybody, but please be patient. We have a lot we're trying to do here on the show. We hope to eventually get to all your suggestions and we're going to do our best, but we appreciate your patience.
3: Yes, I agree. We have our day jobs and we're trying to keep up with all the emails. We absolutely love the attention we're getting. And we're trying to write back as quickly as possible while still being dads and maintaining our day jobs. Hey, Jelly, we got a couple of uh, listener questions. Shall we roll with those? Sure. What's our first one? Matthew Carruthers from Greeley, Colorado asks, Do Navy squadrons ever deploy to an overseas land base to conduct combat operations? For example, does a VFA ever deploy to Bahrain and conduct operations against ISIS in Iraq and Syria?
0: Ah uh, Yes. Well, Sunshine, you might remember about 10 years, maybe more ago, the Navy squadrons participated in the unit deployment program where Navy squadrons went to where Marine squadrons typically deploy. And Marine squadrons, as I've always done, came on the aircraft carrier to join the air wing. But apart from that, I don't know of any VFA squadrons that deploy from the Navy. However, I do know that other aircraft, such as the EA-6B, you remember our guest Deke from the S-3 episode, he ended up being a Prowler CO, and he deployed to Afghanistan with his squadron. And of course, P-3s and EP-3s and other aircraft deploy all over. But I don't know of any VFA squadrons that land base these days. I agree. All right, next, let's take a phone call.
1: Hey, guys, this is Carl calling from Willow Grove, PA. This question is for Sunshine in regards to your S-3 video. Great job, by the way. Could you please explain why when on UHF in the S3 that you couldn't use a frequency that ended in a 2 or a 7 and why it had to end in a 0 or a 5? For example, 291.7 would work, but 273.57 would not. Love all the content, guys, and look forward to hearing more about DCS. Thanks.
3: Hey Carl, thanks for the call, and a shout out to good old Willow Grove PA, which was kind of in my backyard growing up, and I did fly an S3 in there, land, and drive over to Philly for an Army-Navy game one year and surprise my folks. A great time. When you're talking about the frequency spacing there, that's going to be a technological casualty of the ARC-156, which was the radio employed in the S3. So back at the beginning of the century, the spacing was actually 100 kilohertz, and then right about the 50s, it went down to 50 kilohertz. And in the early 70s, it went to 25 kilohertz, meaning that you could now dial in the 325, 375, and so on and so forth. So the uh, radio that was used at the time was only capable of the 50 kilohertz frequency spacing. And then obviously nowadays with our ARC-210, the ARC, as in airborne radio communication, the ARC-210 can take full advantage of that 25 kilohertz spacing. And if you go over to the guys over in Europe, they actually have a 8.33 kilohertz spacing. So they've got extremely narrow band.
0: Okay. So I want to make sure I understand this too, Sunshine. So did the S3 have the older radios and it couldn't do the like 0.275 type of thing? You got it exactly right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's pretty standard these days, but I guess that was just a limitation of the S3. All right. Next question is from Louis Ferrer who asks, what's the max trap gross weight LSOs want?
3: for rhinos, i.e. super hornets, during carrier landings. So, Sunshine, you remember that one? Yeah, it's 44,000 pounds, and that's not only what the LSOs want, but it's actually dictated in NATOPS. There you go. All right, and what's our last question? The last question comes from across the pond and Alex. He asked, do you ever witness or know of any munitions falling off the jet during a carrier landing? Second question, the G-Force must be immense, correct? And the strain of a 2,000-pound Mark 84 is unimaginable. How are they attached to the jet to withstand these forces? So Alex, I've never witnessed that. I have seen pictures,
0: however, of an F-18 in the landing area with an AIM-9 Sidewinder going trickling off the end, and I don't know any background story behind that. But otherwise, I've never witnessed it.
3: How about you, Sunshine? Actually, I was up in Tower for a CATAM fly so the captive air training missile. Okay. And a marine jet came in carrying a CATAM-88, which is a practice for the uh, high-speed anti-radiation missile, the HARM. Or oh, the HARM, yeah, sure. Yeah, so the guy comes in, traps... I don't know what happened. Seemed like a maintenance error, but the jet came to a stop, tugged on the wire, and then the CADM-88 actually dropped off, skidded along the landing area into the water. So lots of sparks. And the pilot was so on step that he actually called out Magnum on button one. <laughs> and remind us what Magnum means. Magnum is the also calm brevity term for launching a harm missile. So this guy basically <laughs> didn't expect he just wanted to trap, right? But we trapped the cadm came off, went down the landing area, and he had the wherewithal on button one to say Magnum. Trust me, there was a lot of laughter up in the uh, flight tower that day.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I wonder if he got a new call sign out of it. (laughs) Well, so to answer the rest of Alex's question, yes, the G-force on carrier landing is immense, and the strain on a 2,000-pound bomb is great. However, because of the engineering that's been put into the bomb rack units or the brews that exist inside the pylons on the F-18. They are designed to handle on the 30-inch lugs. There's 30 and 14-inch lugs, and you can adapt different stores to those like the launcher for a harm. And they can test the different systems. They do this strain testing, and they can decide what things you can and cannot bring back to the ship. But yeah, it it exists for the 2,000-pound bomb and at much higher rates of landing than what we're normally used to, I think. Isn't that right, Sunshine?
3: Yeah, if memory serves, a lot of the aircraft and the things on board the aircraft have to be rated to or stressed to 25 feet per second, which if you do the whole math, you know, multiply by 60, you get roughly 1,500 feet per minute descent which is almost double what we're traditionally landing at on the carry, which is about 750. That'd be 750 feet per minute.
0: Right. So at that point, if you're over 1,500, you definitely have issues with something else, let alone your stores. So that is not where you want to be. All right. Well, that will do it for the listener questions this week. As always, if you have questions, you can submit them to us. And there is information at the end of the show on how to do that. Now, before we get into our interview with Frank, yet another correct, for whatever reason, I got tied up with the definitions of airplane and aircraft as we talk. So you'll hear me incorrectly refer to the H-60 as an airplane, when in fact, we have aircraft and within the category aircraft, you have airplanes, which are fixed wing and helicopters, which are rotary wing. Other than that, I thought it was a good interview, Sunshine. I say we get to it. What do you say?
3: hey i did too jello i'll tell you what i still after all the hours in the jet i still call everything i walk to a jet whether it has a spinning propeller on top or propellers in front or a true jet engine so can't blame you there
0: <laughs> well and there are jet engines on the h60 but let's let frank tell us all about it all right joining me in studio today is united states navy commander jeremiah Regadio. call sign frank frank welcome to the fighter pilot podcast bud Hey, thanks, Jello, for having me. It's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to come and talk. Well, good. We always, I always put a little inflection on that title. One of these days, we may have to change the name of this show because, as the listeners well know, and you do too, we are about all military aviation. And in fact, that's what you are here today to help us talk about. We're going to talk about all variants of the H-60. Now- you and I just met a few minutes ago, and I want to tell the listeners that you were kind enough to reach out and say, hey, active duty guys listen to the show, too. So you'd already found the show somewhere?
1: We did. So I, I randomly came across the show. I can't remember how, but right. uh, probably a year ago. Um, and then it was just not until about a month ago that I listened to a couple more episodes recently. Uh-huh. I think I jumped on the air-to-surface weapon okay. episode. And uh, this was actually right before I went to Fallon for some, uh, some training. And cool. uh, it actually helped out a lot all right well good
0: did you listen to the helicopters episode i'm just I curious
1: did a couple of days ago just to refresh how you, how you do things but right. uh, yeah did,
0: did we any glaring errors there no okay uh, it, it was great perfect well we always start with a little background on yeah. our guest so if you could please tell us where you're from any military background you might have in your family what you've done through your career and where are you now
1: Sure. So I'm foreign uh, and raised uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Military history. My no, no one in the immediate family. Okay. Before I joined, my brothers actually joined later. Oh. So I have a, a my older brother is a Navy dentist, still on active duty, and then uh, one of my younger brothers is a submarine officer. Okay. Um, oh, that but, must
0: be fun. You get to hunt him, right?
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) But then I went to uh, UCLA, just like yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I just found out and then uh, through ROTC there and graduated. And then uh, flight school with the Air Force starting out uh, and then got helicopters. Initial assignments were at uh, North Island here on the West Coast, flying the SH-60 Bravo at first. Okay did uh, RAG instructor, and then uh, did a disassociated tour on the East Coast on aircraft care as an ANAV, and then uh, back here, department of tour, just came back from the Pentagon doing a Navy budget office tour, and then uh, back here, just getting uh, ready to go back as the XO.
0: Okay, so, so you're going to arrive at a squadron as the executive officer, and then if all goes well, you'll take over as the commanding officer. That's right. Dude, I have to ask you: Was Donna still at the ROTC unit? Donna
1: was still there, and uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, she's she's she was a uh, national treasurer. Uh, She no, she looks the same. Okay, Uh, I think she is retired now. Oh wow! um, All right, maybe about five years ago, from from what I understand. Well, ladies and
0: gentlemen, Donna. I don't even remember her last name. Donna
1: Tenerelli. Tenerelli, I knew it was
0: like an Italian-sounding name. She was a fixture at the UCLA ROTC. Never aged, never, and always very helpful, big smile. So, Donna. Out there
1: to get done. We all love you
0: and we miss you. Okay. And so you did your penance at the Pentagon. So you got that joint stink on you. And now you are back and ready to rock in the H60. Excellent. Okay. So I think we're titling this episode the H60. And then I'll probably put in parentheses black slash C and then out of parentheses Hawk. And I don't know if that's really going to do it justice. So let's get into all this right now. First off, we usually ask, what was the aircraft designed to do? What does it do well? And then we get to the variants. But, Frank, I think maybe we ought to say, what are the variants from the get-go, and what were they designed to do? And this is going to get convoluted, because there's a lot of them out there. And I'm no helo guy, but just a little search online, I came across... A bunch of different variants flown by a bunch of different countries. So, let's see if we can get through this, shall we? Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, so you're exactly right. Um, the H sixty originally was designed uh, for the army to replace their UH-1 Huey, Huey okay. fuel. Yep. Mm-hmm. UH one Huey, if you will. Yep, that was around in the seventies, early eighties, and it's grown huge uh, till now. I think uh, what I read was uh, of all the variants, civilian and military of H sixty. Sikorsky has produced over four thousand units wow. worldwide. So Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. So the army originally was designed uh, as a troop transport to replace that Huey, um, okay. and it also had some uh, cruiser of weapons you can put on it, but uh, primarily just move move troops from point to point. Um, so and and it worked well for that. And uh, the Navy caught on and said, "Hey, we've got some legacy helicopters. We'd like to uh, use an H sixty four and." Uh, we, we went that way. And uh, actually, right now, all services, to include the Coast Guard and the Marine Corps, fly some variant of the H-60. Oh, the Marine Corps does as Marine well? Marine Corps does, too. So oh. they've got the VH-60 November. okay. Yeah, so and the V, v for, for VIP. Right. So if you see the president or senior executives flying in some shiny green helicopter out there,
0: okay, um, it will most likely be the one from uh, the Marine Corps. Well, and I have a gentleman who's offered to come on, much like you did, thank you, to talk about the MV-22, oh, yeah. and he was at HMX-1, so yep. we'll be sure same, to ask same him squadron. about that. Exactly. All right, so let's start with the Blackhawk. Is that generally going to be called a UH-60? Exactly, yeah. Typically, the the
1: Army variant probably alone will be the, uh, called the Blackhawk as, okay. as the UH-60. So they started out... Uh, UH-60, I think, Alpha, and then uh, eventually to a 60 Lima, and then eventually to uh, the Mike version, which they're flying now. Okay.
0: Now, we did have an episode six, I want to call it, where we talked about aircraft nomenclature. Okay, And so the H-60 is like your core model airplane. That's right. I mean, what H it looks for like, helicopter. Right. Yep. And 60 meaning the one we know of as the airplane we're talking about right. today. So you put a U in front of it, and that U becomes like meaning a U- utility. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so just like the UH-1 was the Huey, yep. and U being for utility now, we could sit and argue about the U-2 and some other aircraft that have <laughs> U's in them. But for helicopter, U, utility, I'm thinking the movie We Were Soldiers, Hueys are flying in, dropping guys off, taking guys out, and so that's kind of what the UH-60 that's was. That's it. You got okay. it. All right. And then so the Navy came along. And tell us about some of those variants and what are they? What were they designed to do?
1: Yeah, so we had uh, two variants to begin with, actually three. So it uh, started out with the SH 60 Bravo.
0: Okay.
1: Um, SH 60 Bravo, the S being for anti submarine warfare. Sure. Okay. Just so, like the S3 Viking. Just like the S3 Viking, exactly. Okay. So that started in uh, the early 2000s, I believe, as a replacement for the SH 2. Sea Sprite. Sea Sprite, that's yeah, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay? So the SH-60 Bravo is uh, also known as LAMPS. LAMPS is an acronym for... Light airborne multi-purpose system.
0: We've actually had that one on this show before yeah. our okay. uh, guest from the USS Midway was a retired. Oh, yeah, pilot. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mike McLaughlin. That's right.
1: So we had that. It uh, primarily had, uh, so it, c- it can do the entire detect to engage sequence for uh, anti submarine warfare missions, ASW. Right? So it can uh, detect the submarine using active or passive sensors, okay. uh, in this case, sonobuoys. Mm-hmm. So those are small microphones, if you will, that you shoot out of the helicopter. The Microphone goes to a certain depth in the water, uh, listening for a submarine. Okay. Um, and then you have an active sensor that basically sends out a ping, and you you hear that return of the ping.
0: Almost like echolocation.
1: Exactly, echolocation, okay. like a radar radar sure. for okay. underwater. Exactly. All right. um, we also had a magnetic anomaly detector, basically measuring uh, disturbances in the Earth's magnetic field.
0: Okay. Yeah, we talked about that with S yeah. three.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ESM systems, so electronic support measures. All right. In, in, in the case of a submarine, if he was at periscope depth, maybe a surface navigation radar, okay. something like that would cue uh, us there. That was our primary mission, obviously, carrying torpedoes, too, in, in case we wanted to uh, engage the target. Um, lightweight torpedoes, in this case, Mark mm-hmm. 46 or Mark 50 Eventually, we had a Mark 54 to replace okay. all of those.
0: Now, is the SH-60 Bravo still in operation with it's us? It's not. We, uh, it's out of service
1: now. Um, we've replaced it with a new helicopter called the MH-60 Romeo. Okay,
0: we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. And then, well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore, but visually, when, when helicopters fly over and they buzz around here in North Island all the time- All the time. Um, there was one like with a tail wheel that is a little more amid ships, if you will, mm-hmm. and then another the is kind of angled, and it's towards the back, closer sure. to the tail. So
1: all of the legacy Navy H-60 variants, that meaning the Bravo, Foxtrot, and Hotel, have their tail wheel vertical,
0: okay. so closer to amidships, just like you said. Yeah, yep. a little further forward. Okay. Uh,
1: the Army Blackhawk, and then the new 60 Sierra, H- MH-60 Sierra for the Navy, have the tail wheel Further aft and at a and angled, probably about yeah. Okay, about 45 so that's a visual
0: degree. distinction. So it would a be normal to still see it flying around because we're still flying the hotels. And- uh,
1: hotels are almost out of service, if not already okay. done. Yep. So right now. In the Navy, the H-60 variants almost entirely now are Romeo and Sierra.
0: Okay, let's get to them in a second. But tell us about the Fox trial. and was there a hotel in the Navy as well?
1: There was. So to back up a little bit with the 60 Bravo, primarily you had have a squadron about 10 to 13 helicopters. And from the squadron, you'd deploy in what are called detachments, mm-hmm. one or two blame detachments at a time, and you'd deploy to the carrier escort ships. So, so the destroyers
0: and the cruisers. Destroyers,
1: cruisers, uh, exactly right. Okay. Um, and they would do kind of that outer zone-ish anti-submarine warfare. Okay. On the carrier itself, you had an HS squadron, helicopter anti-submarine squadron, um, where you'd have a complement of around six sixty 60 trots. For the ASW set, and then uh, you'd have two or three H-60 hotels, f- more for SAR and combat search and rescue. Okay, gotcha. Um, and they would be doing primarily that inner zone defense for ASW, okay. and then the, the Vikings, which you talked about before, would do that outer zone
0: ASW. So the, I might have missed it a second ago, the hotels, did you say, are they basically like a Navy Blackhawk? Um, not really.
1: Um, they still like, like I said before, they have that tail wheel right. a little further um, but forward. Mission wise, mission wise, yeah, more okay. like an Army Blackhawk, more even kind of like a uh, Air Force Pave Okay, when when we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah.
0: We're going to spend probably most of our time just talking about the different variants, but that's sure. good because I'm actually learning a lot here too. <laughs> Okay, so uh, and so let me get this straight. An HS squadron, like HS-6, mm-hmm. would have the SH-60. That's correct. <laughs> okay, yep. let's get that straight in our heads. And then they're going to have different flavors of them. And are the pilots qualified to operate both interchangeably? They're qualified
1: in both uh, when they had it. Um, so their FRS, Fleet Replacement Squadron, their Training Squadron, would qualify them on both aircraft. There was a single NATOPS manual, okay. single flight manual, mm-hmm. and... Uh, And, yep, uh, you could fly one day in one aircraft, another day in the other. Okay.
0: And, again, from the person observing, when one goes by, you might see a little more, like, and some of them you can see through the, uh, what do you call the area where the troops sit? The the cabin. Cabin, thank you. On others, there's a lot more equipment in there, and, in fact, you have air warfare operators enlisted personnel who are operating and looking for the submarines and so that's, that's right. one way to, to So stand yeah it.
1: so specifically with the HS squadron so you have the Foxtrot hotel like I said mm-hmm. um, the Foxtrot has has no window in the cabin on the left side of the aircraft oh, okay um, the the hotel has a sliding cabin window on the left side uh, and then we'll get to the other ones later on. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, we, you and I should put together a quiz for people, and if they get like you know, better than a certain <laughs> score, we'll give them. Mo, there are even a lot of helicopter, uh,
1: Navy helicopter pilots that can't uh, tell the difference. Oh, well, that's but, good yeah, to know. So. Okay.
0: All right, so if that's legacy, unless there's more, where is the Navy today?
1: So now the Navy is at within their H-60 fleet of aircraft, they have two variants. Uh, one is an MH-60 Romeo, and the other is an MH-60 Sierra. And
0: let's talk first about the M.
1: The M, uh, in this case, uh, is uh,
0: denotes multi-mission. Okay, so like so an MV-22. That's right. And there's probably others I can't think of. Okay, so let's start with the, I guess, alphabetically, or less, and you'd rather go with S first. but Okay. Yeah, so the MH-60 Sierra, that uh, came online,
1: uh, first operational deployment was in 2002 there, and it replaced the uh, really three variants of helicopters. Uh, One is the H-60 Hotel, which we talked about, and then the other ones were cargo and uh, SAR-specific helicopters, uh, CH-46, H-3, et cetera. Um, So it combined all that mission uh, and all those uh, helicopter types uh, into one. Um, and you have multiple flavors now of a 60 Sierra. So when no it first dear. came out, um, and this will get even more complicated. So when it first came <laughs> out, just like uh, when your your um, F18s, you have different lots, right? Sure. Right. So earlier lots are not going to have all the capabilities that That's the later right. lots do. That's right. OBOGs did. and the different exactly. engines, you right. got... um, So the first lot, and what they call them blocks uh, in the Sierra. Block one Sierra, basic off the street really slicked out helicopter no, no really no mission systems in it uh, and, and it can do that uh, logistics mission very well you know troop transport uh, passenger mail cargo vert rep all that kind of stuff okay. uh, and then eventually uh, they came out with block 2 and block 3 for different other mission sets uh, as the capabilities grew so block 2 was designed for a uh, airborne mine countermeasure mission oh. And then a block three is what is commonly referred to as an armed helo kit. So on that, you had additional features as uh, up to eight Hellfire missiles, four on each side, um, fixed forward firing guns, uh, unguided rockets, APKWS.
0: So I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but are these here? Planes that have almost like shoulders sticking out. Yeah,
1: them. they kind of, um, so on the H sixty Sierra, the uh, the weapons pylon. Uh, they kind of refer to them as bat wings because they stick out on the uh, on about the waist level. But there are some f- angled supports that help to uh, I guess carry that the rest mm. of that weight. So
0: and that's where everything is loaded. That looks menacing. That's right. I think it, it looks it, pretty cool. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty
1: intimidating when yeah. you see it. Yeah. All right. And that's it. So an H- H-60 Sierra squadron now is designated as HSC, so okay. um, and that stands for Helicopter Sea Combat.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and there are two flavors of those squadrons. One is a carrier air wing squadron, which will deploy as your typical uh, carrier air wing, mm-hmm. and then you have expeditionary squadrons that will deploy on uh, maybe amphib ships, uh, mine countermeasure. Helicopter variants will specifically be designed for... Uh, Littoral Combat Ship Mine Countermeasure Mission Modules. Okay. So that whole package is a s- system of systems, if you gotcha. will. Gotcha. Okay. So that's that side of the house. And then uh, the other side of the, the newer 60s within the Navy's fleet is the MH-60 Romeo. So that came along and combined, uh, you could you can combine the uh, 60 Bravo and the 60 Foxtrot now we have a single helicopter that does all ASW within the navy. So right now with the retirement of the S3 Viking uh and the 60 Bravo 60 Foxtrot the MH60 Romeo within the carrier air wing is the uh, only organic ASW asset for the uh, for the carrier strike group itself. Right.
0: Other than another submarine and the destroyers, but it's source that's right go. Air, okay. Airborne
1: ASWS, okay. assets, that's right.
0: And in the old days, an air wing used to have just one HS, or helicopter squadron. Nowadays, I believe there's just about two in each one. Is that There's correct?
1: two, yep. So every air wing now has a 60 Romeo squadron and a 60 Sierra squadron. Okay. So the 60 Romeo squadron will have about 11 helicopters total. Five of them will typically be deployed on the carrier itself, and then uh, the remaining six... Two each will be on one of the, uh, the remaining escort ships. Okay,
0: And so, Frank, when I see an H-60 flying over, and again, I'll just call it that. I know that's not totally accurate. Sometimes I see what appears to be like a hockey puck-type circular thing on the bottom of the fuselage under the flight deck. What And does that tell me that's a Romeo then, I'm guessing? That's exactly right. So okay. the
1: SH-60 Bravo and the MH-60 Romeo within the United States Navy H-60 fleet were the only aircraft that have radar on it. Okay. Uh, specifically it's a surface search radar and and the probably the best one within the carrier strike group actually airborne mm-hmm. to specifically search, detect and, and localize uh, and track and provide a tracking solution for uh for surface contacts uh and if you and the one specifically we have for the 60 Romeo has additional periscope detection features and ISAR inverse synthetic aperture radar. Ooh, all right. Um, provides, you know, pretty good uh classification uh, capabilities for the helicopter. Okay.
0: Now, with regards to the Sierra and Romeo, I'm guessing the cockpits and systems are much improved over the older broadway They are,
1: yeah. So these two aircraft uh, have glass cockpits all all the way around, mm-hmm. and and a very common cockpit. You act, they actually call it common cockpit because the uh, the displays, the key sets, the pointing devices, they're they're actually the same between the Romeo and
0: Sierra. But are, does the Navy train the pilots for one or the other?
1: We do. You know, basic flying the aircraft, you you, you could hop into one and. And we do it a lot. Okay. You, know, you know, you'll have folks on the on the ship that'll, you know, hey, let's fly with our sister squadron. Okay. It,
0: it's. It sounds like it's the fine. Same thing between the Rhino and the Growler, I guess those. Exactly. Fact, I, I'm I'm told they're combining those NATOPS anyway. So okay. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. I thought I heard that. All right, and then so is that it for Navy? That is it for Navy right now. Okay, yeah. so we're still on the variants, and we're talking about what they're described to do. Uh, let's see. What about Air Force? Don't they have some specialty sixties? Air Force does.
1: They have the H uh, sixty Golf. They call it the Pave Hawk. Um, so ours was an SH sixty Golf. Ours was an SH sixty. I think theirs actually is an HH sixty. sixty. Okay, and then when wait <laughs> So for the H, the additional H in the front there, uh, I think is uh, denotes help. Oh. Um, and in this case, help being search and rescue.
0: So, like a specialty search and rescue, yeah, specialty like, search and rescue, paratrooper right. dudes who are extra specially trained in this. Okay,
1: right. So it'll be used for yeah, exactly insertion, recovery of special ops guys, mm-hmm. um, combat search and rescue, etc. Okay,
0: and then I think you alluded to it earlier, but then the Coast Guard, United States Coast Guard, in this context, also flies what the MH-60 Tango. I think I saw.
1: That's right, uh, and they call it the Jayhawk. Okay. So this is uh, their version. Was uh, a derivative of the Navy versions of uh, of the old Seahawks. Um, so a lot of the features are the same. Like the tail wheel is more amidships. midships. Gotcha. Um, and this one is, is very easily identifiable by its uh, you know
0: white and orange paint scheme. Of course. Yeah. They don't want to be incognito. They want to be easily detected. To be just found. like a training aircraft. That's right. So Frank, is it safe to say any H sixty will have a hoist? and can perform either vertical-type lifts of items or even search and rescue and pick people up?
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't make a definitive statement, but I would guess that the majority of them have a what's called a rescue hoist, mm-hmm. which is right uh, typically on the right side of the helicopter to lift and lower personnel. You can do cargo there, but uh, right. it doesn't have a very good lifting capability. But under the belly of the helicopter, most variants have a, a cargo hook. Okay. And that'll carry anywhere from three to 6,000 pounds of external loads.
0: Right. So the Navy has divested itself of the, what was it called, the SH-46, or not sh CH-46. CH-46, CH right. thank you. So now the uh, 60s, the Seahawks, have to take that. Okay. So... Many different variants, also flown by many different countries, right? I looked at Wikipedia. I don't know if that's the authority or not, but I saw Turkey, Australia, Spain, Thailand, China, Taiwan, Greece, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Israel, Slovakia, and Sweden. Does that sound yep. about right? Yep. There, okay. And there's probably more that we didn't there even There probably say. is. So that is, I think, all of the different variants, who's flying them, and what they were designed to do. Now, without going back through each and every one of them, Frank... What does the airplane do well? And I'm guessing from what I've seen, pretty much it does all of these things pretty well.
1: It does a lot of things well, and that, that can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. So the advantage of, of being good at every, or being capable of everything, I should mm-hmm. say, is that people will call on you for everything, right? Um, right. But the downside is, you know, as you know, with limited resources, limited training opportunities, spreading yourself among multiple mission areas will limit your ability to get good at any one mission.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: So that being said, whatever mission the the helicopter and and that particular unit is assigned, uh, I'm fully confident that everyone's training to each mission as as well as they can.
0: How many hours do you have in it? Uh, Right
1: now, I've got about 2,400 uh, between the 60 Bravo and the 60
0: Romeo. Wow, cool. And to your point getting back to that like in the air wing for the fixed wing guys we would have an occasional no fly day on deployment you guys almost never had no fly days you were yeah. always hauling around some vip guy or the admiral or doing a vert wrap or I mean, you guys rarely had days off
1: yeah so for the hsc guys flying the 60 cr you're exactly right that's what they do all the time and when there's no fly days people still need logistics done right mm-hmm. um, and specifically with my airframe the mh60 romeo you know, with the sensor suites we have between the radar and the ESM system uh, and our FLIR system as well, mm-hmm. our commanders on the ship are very interested in having us fly almost 24 hours a day, you know, yeah, maintaining gosh. that maritime picture out there, right. seeing who's around and making yeah. sure that we're safe.
0: Yep. So one other thing we didn't talk about is, at least in the Navy side of things, is the SEAL. Stuff So obviously, troop transport for the Army, that can be anyone. For the Navy, we obviously need to move guys around. And I guess that's just part of the mission as well, right? And is that going to be the Sierra guys probably taking care of that?
1: That's right. So I failed to mention uh, the 60 Sierra was also designed uh, for Naval Special Warfare support, in this case, uh, the Navy SEALs. Within the U.S. Navy, we actually have one squadron dedicated for Naval Special Warfare support, and they fly the 60 Sierra, and they're stationed out here at North Island also.
0: All right. Now, Frank, to my untrained eye, an SH-60, UH-60, I mean, there's paint color differences between the Army and the Navy, and then, of course, the Coast Guard, but they all look very similar to me. Is there one feature that you could point out about the aircraft that describes sort of the way it looks and why it does look the way it does. I mean, I know it's kind of a nebulous question, but is there anything particular about it that dictates the shape that they ended up on? No, I, I don't know
1: exactly why it was designed the way it was. Um, no, I, 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 okay. I don't have a good answer Yeah, for I mean, that. and
0: I didn't ask it very well either, but, uh, well, here's one, for example. Do the Blackhawks have folding tails and rotor blades also? Was it just cheaper to make them all? Yeah, I, I think
1: certain uh, models of the Blackhawk, yeah, they definitely have, I think all of them have uh, ability to fold the blades for mm-hmm. sure in case they need to
0: be transported in a in a C5, in a C5 or, or C17 sure. exactly.
1: Now they they might not have and they don't definitely have automatic blade fold capability oh. like the navy versions do. Oh, cool. You know, so when we're on when we're on the carrier and uh, we shut down or or we're starting up and handler needs us to get mm-hmm. off the deck always you know, never need, fast enough. Of never course. fast enough. We need to <laughs> fold and unfold right. those blades quickly.
0: Okay. So the H-60 variants we see on ships will have the blades can all tuck back real nice and neat and then even the tail Will pull forward and you end up in this relatively compact little airplane that you can then squeeze into the small hangars on the destroyers or Next to each other very tightly right behind the island on the carrier. Itself. That's right. Yep. Okay. Outstanding now when it comes to armament You already talked about the word crew-served, and then we also talked a little bit about the, I call them shoulders, you had a better word for it, but there's aircraft-mounted weapons and then crew-served weapons. So which one do you want to start with, and what can you tell us? So crew-served weapons are are primarily uh,
1: machine guns, in this case, uh, attached to the aircraft that are crew-served, meaning there's a... A door gunner in the back of the helicopter in the cabin, firing the weapon. Right. So uh, of course
0: I'm thinking Full Metal Jacket. the Full second Metal half Jacket, of the movie, exactly. The guy yelling, "Get
1: some!" Okay. That's right. Exactly. Right. Perfect example. Uh, and and in most cases. Across all services, they're either using a 7.62-millimeter cruiser weapon or a, or a fifty caliber, depending on the mission. Is there like a minigun as well? There is minigun. There are miniguns out there, depending on what uh, variant we're talking about. Okay. Um, electrically operated miniguns, uh, typically 7.62-millimeter. Oh, that is. High well. rate of speed, okay. Yeah, probably around 3,000 rounds per minute.
0: I don't allow myself too many regrets, but I wish I would had a chance to go up and fire that. I'm guessing not very <laughs> many people who don't do that for a living do. but If that had ever been available, I would have jumped on it, because that sounds about as cool as can be. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What about the... What would you call the non-cruiser? Is there even a name for it, or just...
1: Yeah, some... uh, They do have some fixed forward firing weapons. So, like, the 60 Sierra, for example, has a uh, 20-millimeter gun.
0: Which is the same size as the F-18. All right. And so that is employed, then, by the pilots.
1: That's right. Uh, They have a trigger up front, uh, and uh, wherever the... The barrels pointing—that's where the rounds will go.
0: Well, and that sounds, I suppose, a little bit careless. I'm guessing they have some sort of aiming device, right? <laughs> you would think uh, for no? this
1: uh, for this specific one. And uh, you know, I, I might need to cut out this one, but I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm mixing it either between this gun and the unguided rockets. Okay. They no kidding, just take a grease pencil, put it on on their. <laughs> Window and shoot it out, and I and I and I'd, I'd be lying if I were able to distinguish between the two.
0: This is 2019, by the way, Frank. <laughs> we still use grease pencils to uh, figure out where we're aiming.
1: You know, if if it worked in <laughs> Vietnam, it uh, it,
0: it could suppose, still work today. But I thought we relied on technology these days. Okay, well, thankfully they probably employ those in situations where we're not too worried about collateral damage. Generally, that's right. And if it's a moving small boat on the sea, that we usually get instant feedback in the sense of spray from the bullets hitting the water or whatever. Okay. Uh, Then you said hellfire earlier. You said torpedoes earlier.
1: Right. So we do have precision-guided weapons uh, in that case when you're uh, a little bit more concerned of weapons placement. Sure. So most variants that can carry these types of missiles uh, would carry... an AGM-114, which is the Hellfire missile. Okay. It's a laser-guided missile uh, designed a long time ago uh, as an Army tank killer mm-hmm. to start out with, and we've modified it, and there are many different variants. Did there used to be
0: like a wire guided one where it paid out a wire as it fired? I don't know if there was one. Not for um, air, maybe. Maybe that was just the guys on the ground. Yeah, I I'm not sure. It, it could
1: be possible, but okay. the, the ones we use in the Navy are, are all laser guided. Laser guided, guided. Yeah. Okay.
0: And you guys can designate your own target with laser We can designate our
1: own. Uh, someone else can designate for us. Sure. Uh, we can designate for other people. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then, um, of
0: course, sonobuoys you talked about. Any sonobuies? kind of mines?
1: Uh, no offensive mines, uh, from what I understand. Um, right. We do have rockets, though, uh,
0: both unguided and uh, laser guided. 2.75 Two point seven five. Two point seven five. Yep. A, we talked about this on our air-to-surface weapons. APKWS. I That's right. Say. Yep. All
1: right. Same same versions. Okay. Cool. And uh, torpedoes. Yep. Torpedoes for uh, these subsurface contacts. Uh, The Navy variants can carry up to three of uh, any of the lightweight torpedoes we have in our inventory. Um, And then we used to, with the old SH-60 Bravo, we did have a a Penguin missile at one point. Oh, yeah. uh, Anti-surface missile, uh, AGM-119, I believe, was the designation on that. But uh, we no longer carry that.
0: Okay. But to be clear, you still do have both air-to-surface and air to subsurface offensive capability. That's great. And then, of course, overland with the crew served and the aircraft-mounted weapons. All right. All right. Now, moving on to strengths and weaknesses. This is the part where everyone loves their baby, of course. Everything's good, nothing's bad, but what are your thoughts, Frank? What are some strengths of the various H-60 models out there?
1: So, strengths, uh, like we said before, you know, the original Black Hawk design has been heavily modified to a, m- a multitude of mission sets, so can almost do almost any mission out there. Air-to-air mission is probably one of our weaknesses, but uh, with, well, with, with, the, with the missions we've been assigned, right. uh, we, we can do them pretty well. That being said, with the additional mission sets and the additional mission equipment that mm-hmm. is required to conduct those missions, weight becomes a concern at this okay. point. So my aircraft, especially the MH-60 Romeo, is so heavily weighted with uh, sonar equipment, acoustic processing, all the weapons, if we mm-hmm. have them fully loaded out, um, that would limit our on-station time if we had everything fully loaded out.
0: And then, of course, you have altitude altitude, temperature yep, so issues, right? So exactly. if you're in Fallon in summer where it's 4,000 feet and maybe 100 degrees at two in the afternoon... Then you could have concerns, especially if you're out flying in the area where the terrain can be even higher.
1: That's right. So, it's okay. helicopter pilots, especially, would be concerned at that point with uh, with hovering power, okay. specifically high hovering power. We call out of ground effect hovers. Sure. So, the heavier you are, the hotter it is outside. the The more power is going to be required to con- conduct that maneuver.
0: And I always forget. I need to add it to my list of questions. But speaking of performance in general, what's the H60 advertised to do as far as speed? let's say altitude, and in the case of a normal amount of loiter, if the helicopter was playing what we would call plane guard or acting as plane guard, then how long roughly could it hang out? Sure. So um,
1: the aircraft itself has uh, two gas turbine engines, Mm -hmm. uh, in this case made by General Electric, produce about 1,800 shaft horsepower, if I remember that correctly, and the aircraft weighs probably around 22,000 pounds. Okay. okay. So depending on the type of helicopter, and we can obviously have varying configurations of fuel tanks. But uh, speed, I would say, max out at around 180, 190, depending on the variant. Um, and you, can't, you typically won't be able to reach that uh, red line speed unless you're... Nosing it over in a descent <laughs>
0: sounds common to all aircraft, right. okay. Um
1: But our typical cruise speed would be around 120 to 160 knots, depending on the variant. Okay. Uh, best uh, endurance speed would be around 60 to 70 knots. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, What's the highest you've ever had one? I, I've uh, brought it close to redline. Yep. So uh, and and uh, on deployment in the Gulf, especially, you'd fly pretty high up, just uh, if anything to get a better radar picture, sure. but to also to Your air conditioning system is not working too well, so So, the higher, the cooler. Oh, yeah, Um,
0: old-fashioned. And you got to get down to the ship somehow, so um, that's a way to do it. And how about altitude-wise? What's the highest you've ever had
1: Altitude, so we are a...
0: Unpressurized, we're unpressurized no oxygen.
1: C- uh, cockpit, so mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're limited to 10,000 feet, uh, I think, density altitude. Okay.
0: Have they ever, in testing, gone higher to they see? They have, uh, with uh, sample and sure.
1: Um they have, absolutely, okay. in testing. you remember how high they went? I think up to 13,000, maybe even higher. Okay. I don't know.
0: Yeah, after that, air starts getting thin. It's hard to beat it in a submission. Yeah, that's that. right. Okay. And then if you were hanging out as plane guard... What's a typical yeah, amount Yeah, so those of
1: missions, uh, plane guard guys, uh, anywhere from two to three hours uh, on, a, on a typical mission off of the uh, cruiser destroyer, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd go three and a half, almost four
0: hours at some times. And that doesn't mean at four hours you're running out of fuel. You still have some limited uh, amount after that, of course. Three and but a half
1: if we would have some reserve fuel. Four
0: right. would be pushing it. Pushing it, right. Yeah. Okay, because on plane guard, in that example... You, you guys would always give the tower a red light, right? Meaning, That's hey, right. At this point, I think, right? correct me if I'm wrong, I could still make a quick recovery at that point. That's but right. Then at that point, I really need to land with the survivor or survivors right away.
1: Right. Okay. The definition of red light is to have 30 minutes of fuel remaining before you need to come back. I should back. have just asked yeah. you. Of course, you would know that. All right. So any weaknesses? We need to so yeah, we said the uh, we said the weight, um, okay, the that's okay. um, other weaknesses there's not enough of us. So we're we're ah. in high demand like I said uh, on deployment uh, with my specific variant mm-hmm. uh, the the commanders want us
0: flying 24 sure. hours a day. Now when you say not enough of us, do you mean airplanes or people or both?
1: I would say both. Okay. Uh with more airplanes uh, require more people, right? Okay. So sure. And, you know, it, when the world has a vote and something happens, whether it be a combat scenario mm-hmm. or natural disasters, uh, you know, we've, we've been called upon many tsunami reliefs, oh, yes. uh, even domestically, Hurricane Katrina, sure. other hurricanes, uh, Haiti, Puerto Rico, et cetera. Oh, yes. They can't get enough, enough help. And we're, we're obviously happy to do it. And that, that makes us better
0: cool now we didn't really talk about crew what's a typical crew on an h60 so in an h60
1: you can fly it uh, minimally with two pilots so you'll have two pilots up front and you, you know for the most part you really only need one uh, we always fly with two mm-hmm. um, there there's some some switch and knob lever pulls that require two people okay but uh, primarily in the back uh, you'll have anywhere from one to typically two at the max crewmen, okay. uh, And those crewmen are, are trained in multiple mission areas, and it'll depend on the squadron, right? right. So some guys can be qualified uh, as basic uh, door gunners, crew chiefs, just to help out with the passengers in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some medical technicians. Uh, others will be trained in acoustics, okay. uh, like my guys are. Trained uh, in vert rep, replenishment uh, mission sets, and uh, and rescue swimmers also.
0: So they're not all rescue? I mean, not they all are. of them? So, so my squadron, oh, okay. gotcha. each, each
1: air crewman who can sit in the back is qualified as a rescue swimmer if he needs to jump out, okay. qualified as that door gunner if he needs to shoot the door, and also qualified as an acoustic operator to hunt
0: submarines. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, if I had it my way, I would have found one of them to bring in with you, and I could have put a microphone in front of both of you guys and really got the full skinny here on the H-60, but maybe we can get them back for an encore. All right, so what is this airplane notorious for? Where would the public have seen this helicopter? Besides around here, buzzing by all day in and day out, but has it been in Hollywood much? It's been in
1: Hollywood a lot, so yeah. um, Black Hawk Down, obviously, Duh, is, is going right? to be our, our, <laughs> our premiere. That's your top uh, gun? That's our top gun. Okay. Not in a good way, really, um, uh. but uh, yeah, it definitely put us in the limelight. Uh, Navy-specific, uh, I would say um, Hunt for Red October had a uh, SH-60 Bravo in there. Okay,
0: towards the end, I towards think, Towards right? the end, yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay.
1: Uh, uh, Tears of the Sun. Had an SH
0: 60 Bravo at the end, also. Um, I'm thinking Clear and Present Danger, some Blackhawks inserted the troops. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm that sure of that. Okay. And then uh, there, recently,
1: there were a bunch of uh, Navy special warfare SEAL type movies that uh, featured a okay. lot of H 60s.
0: So when you think of Vietnam, you think of the Huey. You think of anything since the late 80s, 90s, or whatever, you think of the uh, Seahawk Blackhawk. Basically. That's right. Okay, fair enough. Now, I think we're almost to the end. Anything we missed or and/ or any good sea stories I mean you've got over two thousand hours in this thing any emergencies any real life stuff what can you share? yeah, you know so you
1: talked earlier about uh, how widely proliferated this uh, aircraft is and mm-hmm. uh, one of our one of my deployments I did uh, we did a uh, an exercise called CARAT. It stands for uh, Combined Afloat Readiness and Training. Okay. It's, a, it's a maritime exercise with navies, bilateral. Um, so one or two weeks at a time, you'd go work with one country. And these primarily were Southeast Asian countries. Okay. Uh, we did one with uh, the country of Brunei, the Kingdom of Brunei. Cool. Uh, they have H 60s there too, and uh, they let us fly with them. And uh, you, we flew just like how you see in the in the Vietnam movies, low and fast on their waters uh, in the rivers, uh, f- fly right by the Sultan of Brunei's palace, um, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun.
0: I bet very cool. Well, and we didn't really talk about min altitude. Obviously, you guys are right on the water half the time if you're deploying a swimmer or whatever else, but. Uh... Yeah, it must be a lot of fun to fly. I mean, can I ask you a personal question, Frank? Was helicopters what you wanted to fly? It wasn't, no. So
1: I, uh, out of flight school, out of primary training, I put TAC Air first. And okay. then um, I think I even put uh, Maritime second, and mm-hmm. then maybe even uh, COD, I think, uh, third, COD E2. Um, and helicopters was at the bottom of the list. And All then right. even, even after helicopters advanced training when I got winged, I put, uh, my community was last, uh, but looking back on it, I, I absolutely enjoy what I do. I would, I wouldn't have trained it for any, anything in the world. That, and that's, that's really honest. Um, given what we do, our mission set, uh, where we've come from then until now and how important I think we are. And I might be completely biased, but, uh, I think we, based off of our exposure to, the bigger Navy, I think uh, we're well positioned, and I think we contribute to that uh, that fight where we where we can.
0: Frank, I am so glad you said that, and I set you up for that. The listeners are going to think I'm paying you off because I get so many emails from young people like, "Oh, what am I going to do if I don't get jets?" And I tell them, I said, you know, call it Darwin, call it God, whatever. There's a plan for you, and it may not include jets, but you can still do okay and enjoy it. I had a gentleman on the show who was an E two NFO, which is as far from being a jet pilot, which is what he wanted to be at first, he thought, as he could be, and he gave the same answer. Yeah. And I think that's the point: is everyone has their own path in life, and they're not all the same. And maybe, arguably, some are more or less glamorous than others. But it's about what you make of it. It sounds like you took yours and embraced it, and now you enjoy it. And
1: it and is. It is that. what you make of it. Wh- whether it comes from, whether it comes down to the uh, type of aircraft you get, the lo- the duty station location mm-hmm. you get, um, the Air Wing you're getting, when you go on deployment, you know you're you're going to make the most of it. Um, and you most of the time you don't have control over it. Right. So you know it. It's almost pointless to play what if and, and yeah. look back. And
0: well, sit. good for you. I, I appreciate you saying that, and I hope the listeners do as well because we don't know what the future holds and You do not know. the and, same for everyone
1: and and we have we have all of these types of aircraft out there for a reason right you, bet. We, you know if if all the navy needed were F18s we would only have F18s but there's a bigger fight out there a bigger threat that mm-hmm. uh, we requires the navy and and every service for that matter uh, to have the platforms it has
0: right Well, since I've already put you on the spot once, if you'll allow me, I'll do it again. I notice you're wearing glasses. Have you always worn glasses?
1: I didn't. Uh, No, I I grew up uh, not wearing glasses, and then eventually I wore glasses. um, Before the Navy? Before the Navy. Um, And then my graduation year was, I think, the first or second year that the Navy started allowing PRK eye surgery. Okay. Okay. So I was actually on track to select submarines. Oh, wow. And then uh, my officer instructor at UCLA said, hey, the Navy is allowing eye surgery. You, do you want to do it? You've got to pay for it, but right. it could possibly open some more doors if you want to go that route. So I forked over the cash, got <laughs> got my eyes cut, and uh, passed the nami Whammy. That's sure, our... Yeah. Uh, Aviation, Naval Aviation Medical Institute, right. uh, the, the doctors go, give us a rigorous flight physical before... Uh, <laughs> rigorous in air quotes. <laughs> and air quotes, before allowing us to uh, yeah. fly. And yeah. uh, I, was, I was perfectly fine. And maybe cool. about uh, 10 years after that, I started wearing glasses started again. Started wearing again. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I get that question a lot too. So that is good to hear. All right, buddy. Well, golly, this has been a lot of fun. Anything else you think we need to know about the H sixty that we didn't cover today? No, I
1: think uh, all services are 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 well uh, equipped with with the platforms they have. That being said, every service is uh, looking toward the future, as mm-hmm. as with every platform. Sure. Uh, so the future for us holds uh, what we call the future vertical lift, oh. and uh, that's right now in very infant stages. Uh, okay. And it uh, again. I, I hate to use the same uh, terminology, but uh, it'll be a system of systems. Right. So between a manned air vehicle and maybe in conjunction with with an unmanned system, um, that system will come together and uh, produce the capability we need in the
0: future. Gotcha. Well, thank you, my friend, for coming on the show to talk about the H-60. That has been very informative, certainly for me, I hope for the listeners as well. Normally at this point in the show, I ask what the future holds for you. We know you're on your way to a command. How many years in the Navy are you right now? Uh, 16 years. Okay. Duty. So you've got a little ways to get to 20 to retire, but what's the long term plan? Stick around the Navy as long as it'll have you. Yeah. So like I said, I absolutely love what I'm doing. I enjoy my job okay. uh,
1: every day. Um, so as long as the Navy will have me, uh, and as long as my, my family will, uh, allow me, uh, I'll, I'll be glad to stay in and continue however I can uh, contribute.
0: I remember in the past, I've had various bosses that would tell me stay until it's not fun anymore and if if the no fun is for you that's one thing if the no fun is for your family that's also something you have to consider but as long as they keep offering you upward mobility well stick with it and we're glad to have men like you so thank you for your 16 years of service and continued service you'll be deployed probably here in the next couple of years you'll be out there doing it all some more so thank you for that all right so jeremiah regadio you reached out to me on email and said hey love the show And I offered for you to come on, and you signed the email FRANK. Now, you signed it in all capital letters. So this is the part of the show where we get to find out how on earth someone came up with FRANK, and I'm guessing it's an acronym.
1: It is. So I know you did your call (laughs) sign show uh, Mm -hmm. at the very beginning there. Uh, So yeah, it is an acronym. We are a PG show, by the we way. We are a I PG show, you absolutely. You
0: the letter F in there. So, <laughs> so uh,
1: my first shore tour, that was uh, the first tour I did after my fleet squadron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an instructor pilot at our FRS, and uh, I was also our NATOPs evaluator and program manager. So that being said, I was in charge of uh, the NATOPs publication, which is our aircraft flight manual, mm-hmm. uh, and in charge of changing updating the publication to whatever new equipment came out or if we wanted to make changes to it. So as you can imagine, I would get uh, pretty um, intimate uh, and knowledgeable about what's in the publication. So fast forward a few years later, as a department head, the call sign was changed in my department of tour. Oh tour. Wow. My uh, junior officers uh, would hate when I would spout out random NATOPs knowledge. Uh, so the acronym came about as uh Freaking random natops knowledge. I see. Call <laughs> sign Frank stands for Frank.
0: <laughs> well, I bet they were only threatened by it because you knew so much more than they did.
1: That's what I like to say. Yeah.
0: May I ask what the call sign was prior to that? Because it's rare to get a call sign change that it late is, in the game. Yep.
1: So, um, as you are well aware, uh, a lot of call signs are based off of names. Sure. So mine was uh,
0: uh, J Rags for J. Rags. Jeremiah okay. Raggadio. All right. Yeah. So this is an example of albeit a pretty tame one of you had something based on a name, something happened, sort of, and it changed to that. Okay. Right. Because this is based on knowledge, not you putting something in the drink or buffooning yourself on liberty. Uh, you seem like a pretty mellow guy, so I'm sure there wasn't any of that. Right. Awesome. And, then, and then again, call
1: sign changes are, are not the easiest thing to do, uh, and not not the most common either. Yeah. Uh, and in my case, you know, I still have a lot of people still calling me by my old call sign. Okay. And uh, a lot of people only know me by my new call sign. So. right
0: uh, You can claim to be two different people. That could be the convenience for you. It could be. <laughs> All right, Frank. Well, I think we can wrap it up. And I want to thank you for your time and your service. And I'll let you get back to your training, kind sir.
1: Thanks, Jello. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Well, let's get
3: out of here. All right, Jello. I really enjoyed Frank's interview for many reasons. I'll tell you what, dude, I was totally impressed with the uh, call sign there. Flipping, we'll call it for the PG audience, <laughs> flipping random natops knowledge. got to love that stuff. And the fact that he got his a second call sign, if you will, so late in his career.
0: Yeah, it makes me think that the junior officers really didn't like being outgunned on their knowledge and systems <laughs> and all that. But it sounds like Frank knew what he was doing and super nice guy. We always enjoy having the active duty folks on here and he's still playing the game. He'll be out here deployed soon and we're just glad to have him on the show. And so thanks very much, Frank. Thank you. And I think there was one unexplained term that may have snuck past the goalie. Okay. And that was, he said he was an ANAV. And that means assistant navigator, sunshine. Remind us what that guy does on the carrier.
3: A whole lot. So he's in charge of keeping the the navigator honest, and that would be really making sure the ship goes where it's supposed to go. So keeping the skipper of the boat honest too.
0: That's right. So keeping it between the right buoys and away from the shoals and lighthouses and everything (laughs) else. What is that?
3: Red right returning or something like that from the uh, uh, rules of the road?
0: Yeah, don't pretend like you
3: don't know, Mister Canoe You? Canoe (laughs) You? Yeah. Uh, Oh, so true. Hey, Jello, did you ever think about, should we continue on with that uh, behind the series video stuff? Are you going to, like you did with the A7, do you think you'll do one for the uh, H60 here? Well, funny you should ask, because yes, we already have it recorded. We'll release it eh, maybe a day after
0: this episode airs. And so go to our YouTube channel and take a look for it. And you'll hear me and Frank talk about an MH60 Sierra that you'll see land and refuel on a destroyer. So yeah, go check it out on our YouTube channel. All right, dude. Well, this has been a pretty long episode. I just want to mention real quickly, though, that we've had some listeners after the fact say, "Hey, I was in San Diego. That's a nice town." So, people, if you're in San Diego, look us up. Give me a shout. Absolutely, we'd love. Yeah, if we can make it work out, we'd love to uh, meet up with you. We did have one listener from the First Air Defense Group in Annapolis, Brazil. They call themselves the Jaguar Squadron. Huh. And they fly F five. Okay. He stopped by and saw our buddy Bull at Volatis Wines up in Paso Robles. And uh, Bull sent me a picture of the two of them. And then he came through San Diego. But I didn't know he was in San Diego until he already ended up over in Vegas. So, hey, folks, if you're ever in town, let us know. No guarantees that we'll be able to meet up. But maybe we can work something out.
3: That would be great. And Angelo, I didn't realize there's another Annapolis. I didn't either. But that's what he said. Unless I misunderstood.
0: (laughs) I guess I have an accent, at least from his point of view. So I might have misunderstood. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm sure there is. Cool. Well, we'll have to check it out. All right, buddy. Well, as always, the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of the hosts and our guest, and do not necessarily represent the position of the Department of Defense or its components. So that'll do it for this episode. What do we always like to say, sunshine? Hey, Jello. let's get out of here. Let's do it.
2: See, See. ya. You've been listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? send an email to questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com or leave us a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101 that's 877-622-4101 be sure to check out our website at fighterpilotpodcast.com you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube for exclusive Fighter Pilot Podcast content check out our Patreon page please like follow and subscribe to the show and don't forget to share us with your network. Thank you for listening.
3: Oh, I almost forgot. Hey, Academy guys out there, hey, this is Sunshine again, class of 97. Do me a real big favor. Why don't you guys get your plebers out there and do a recon on Captain Ryan Bernacci's house? He lives over there behind Warden Field, so I'm sure he'd really appreciate it. He's a great American, former Blue Angel skipper, and we're going to get him on the show one of these days. So go ahead and do a recon and say Sunshine sent you. Thanks.